0: This episode is brought to you by BitMEX, the OG crypto exchange that is back and better than ever. You'll hear more about BitMEX later in the show.
1: By the way, speaking of inflation, just as an aside, like, can you believe coffee, like is the inflation on coffee is off the rails? Uh, I mean, we always know that if you live in New York, like, you get totally ripped off by, you know, a cup of Joe anywhere you go. But like the coffee bean itself has been on this massive rant, a massive rally, uh, you know, so I'm feeling the pain, sir, because I drink more coffee than I care to admit.
0: Hey everyone, quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. All right, uh, all right, everyone. Welcome back to another uh, episode of Empire. Today's roundup. We are talking about the market puking, and uh, Santiago was nearly in tears. I couldn't tell if it was like happy tears, crying tears, or, or what was going on. So, Santi, how are you feeling today, man? The Dow is down like four percent. Nasdaq is puking, down five percent. I know uh, one of your investments, Stepin, is down like fifteen percent. Salon is down fifteen percent. Bitcoin's down eight uh, percent. How are you feeling today, my friend?
1: <laughs> well uh unbothered mo- what is it in my lane moisturized <laughs> moisturized yeah you know just uh speaking of stepping, you know uh, what's also down is probably a lot a lot of folks are also losing weight as a result so you know uh there's always positive to stuff but no honestly i'm I'm on I'm, I'm un I mean I I don't think about near-term movements uh as much these days um it is interesting to observe but You know, it's like, we all know this to be true. The more you check your portfolio, the more you're going to do dumb stuff. And so I know I'm very prone to doing dumb stuff. And so I'd rather just not check my portfolio constantly. And so on the flip side, I had a really good last couple of days. I I spoke with, it's always nice when you, I spoke with a founder who's been on Stealth for five months, has a team of 40 Unity developers, self-funded. He was a surgeon, left, started his own company. And like, I'm like fired up about investing behind this guy uh, and this team and so to me like as long as i keep seeing that That's the only thing that matters, really, like really good talent building in the space and excited.
0: All right. So you've been you've been saying this for six months, right? So the market tops out in November. You've been saying this for six months. Like, I don't pay attention to short term price movements. And I completely agree. I'm also not waking up and checking the prices of crypto every single day. But here's where I'd push back on you is you're a very prominent angel, right? I'm assuming you've Mm -hmm. got a lot of uh, portfolio companies who are now coming to you saying, oh, shit, uh, we might actually be sliding for quite a while. What is the Mm -hmm. kind of advice that you're giving to founders today? Is it (laughs) button down the hatches? Is it stop hiring? Is it extend your runway? Is it raise at any Mm -hmm. terms possible? What is the kind of advice that you're giving right now?
1: I always tell founders, you want to raise when you can, not when you must. Um, And sometimes, like I was very critical of these massive rounds in 2017, but at the end of the day like my key learning was i mean it served them well to have that war chest to weather through a what felt like a brutal bear market you know folks like you know companies like filecoin even like hashgraph definities of the world you know like these are like eye-catching raises and they they're well capitalized and you know in this increasingly competitive environment you want to have resources to be able to hire the best talent and to to pay them well and so I actually, th- my my advice to founders is, like, you know, don't do anything stupid. Keep your burn rate low. Um, hire really good talent. Like one engineer, one really good engineer can make up for seventeen crappy ones. And so, in order to find that really good engineer, sometimes they're risk averse, and so it helps to be well capitalized. It helps to have HR currency, meaning raising a round from notable investors. Like these are things that, you know, crypto Twitter sometimes takes object to and saying, oh, you know, it's a VC coin. But it, it matters, right? Psychologic, like, consciously or subconsciously, if you are someone that is working at a prominent Web2, comfortable job, you have kids, you're married, or you have, like, a high opportunity cost, let's be honest, it's going to help when, when he sees, oh, wow, protocol X or Y raised from, you know, an Andreessen Horowitz or a or Paradigm or a Tiger, or, like, these things do matter. And so, you know, that's kind of like, I always tell founders, like, you know, if you can get away with it, raise it, and not have to think about it. Um, assuming the terms are okay and the dilution is okay. Uh, And so, you know, you don't know if we're going to be in two, three, five years of, you know, pretty brutal conditions or not. And so it's always good to have enough runway, at least two years of runway is kind of my, my barometer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like these like just low interest rates, flood of like fast uh, you could maybe say dumb late stage capital. Really what happened is it just jacked up these artificial, paper venture returns, right? And this has had a bunch of like secondary effects, right? One is it kind of convinced LPs to just flood into the market with capital in search of kind of unsustainable returns. And I think it convinced GPs that like they maybe were better than they actually thought they might have been at investing Mm -hmm. or just that returns can be compressed into a shorter time horizon than is actually possible. So where do you see, um, you know, you've got a lot of companies, I don't want to call anyone out by name, but who have raised Mm -hmm. on 100x revenue, right? Who have raised at a $7 billion valuation when maybe it should have been a $1 billion valuation. Some companies have raised at a $13 billion valuation when their revenue is like $40 million, right? So mm-hmm. what are what are your for these kind of later stage uh, already mm-hmm. unicorn companies, what's what what happens to these folks in the next 12 months? That's a really good question.
1: Um look, the problem that you have in crypto is that you have liquid venture in true price discovery, so you have a really low float on some of these tokens. That if you look at the circulating supply and the fully diluted supply, it's a huge like you have less than five, ten percent of the entire token supply in circulation. And so it creates this weird dynamic where the price of of the unit price of the token is such that it has this massive fully diluted valuation in the billions. Uh, look at one point like Filecoin was worth like 0.5 percent of all the world's GDP. You're like, there's no fucking way that this coin should be worth this much. And so as tokens are minted and are come into circulation, it, it creates this downward pressure on the token. Where I'm trying to say with all, where I'm going with all this is it is very difficult. And I've had these conversations with founders and say, wow, like we are both they're both anxious when the price of the token is such where this fully diluted valuation is like it's not sustainable. But it's also not nice when the token collapses 90% because it's demoralizing. It's really demoralizing for for new hires. For the community, um, and so anytime you see something go up to a hundred and then down to two, you know it, it really it's difficult. Um, and unfortunately, like there's no perfect answer or solution to, to this. Like you're always going to have long like inflation curves, some longer than others, and you know it, it is what it is. Right. The best you can do as a founder is you know keep building and prove out and and walk your way up to that valuation. Um, <clears throat> Perhaps the, the only like sound advice that i, mean, I do not like to give advice, but like I think strategically, I think some more sensible founders and saying, look, I don't feel the need to launch a token. I mean, in a true raging bull market, everyone wants to launch a token. M- most founders, um, except the really exceptional ones, I think, hold off uh, and want to just truly build a great product. Um, look at Uniswap, right? They they kind of didn't want to raise, didn't want to launch a token, and, and you know, kind of sushi put it under their heads, and so it just became level stakes. Um, But I think now what's nice about this market condition, which is really choppy, feels like kind of bearish. um, And so founders and the community is less eager uh, to launch a token. And so it puts more focus on building a really solid product before launching a token, which is kind of nice, to be honest. Uh, I think most most token launches are are really premature in nature. Um, And I, I get it. Sometimes you have to do it for competitive reasons. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. There's an interesting dynamic in crypto where the token uh, is live, like the uh, company's equity is live much earlier than in traditional markets, right? Because you have a token instead of just waiting to go public. One thing that's happened is um, there are these like red hot valuations in private markets. And private market valuations are running so far ahead of the public markets that I do wonder if this makes sense for like some of these new funds, like shout out to, um who is it? Ryan Watkins, ex Masari yep. analyst who just launched Pangea. And they're taking very concentrated bets on like three to seven high conviction, maybe even leveraged like liquid token investments mm-hmm. with the thought that private market, market valuations have run so far ahead of public that. Maybe some of these new funds will start investing exclusively in public market opportunities. And just the second point there is that Jeff Dorman, I think Jeff Dorman a couple of weeks ago had a really good point, which is that um, a lot of venture funds don't actually buy the publicly traded coins, even if it uh, tokens, even if it's actually cheaper than where they bought privately, because they don't want to mark to market, right? Hmm. So if you're buying. If you're investing in the in the uh, equity round or just in the private rounds, you don't have to mark anything to market. If you're buying liquid tokens, well, now you have a business where you have to mark to market. Um, and so, I'd love to get your take on that.
1: Uh, Jeff is partially correct because as you unlock these tokens, you apply some sort of discount. So you have to. I'm not sure if all funds do this, depending on how they're structured. But for the most part, as you start unlocking these tokens, you have to mark them at some sort of. You know, once a to- once you have an equity investment that has a token you have a position that I think most funds apply some sort of discount, but don't hold it at cost. Now I may be wrong here, but like the accounting on this is very difficult. Um, and sometimes you just have to apply some sort of uh, rubric by which you say there's a token that, it, so say you invest in Uniswap and, and you have this massive bag, but it's locked because investors typically are locked for at least a year. Um, and so, uh, uh, some funds might hold that at a cost until the tokens are fully unlocked or they're just marking the position in some sort of big discount. Uh, it's not perfect science. Um, and then, but, but still, I mean, I think the point is a, correct, which is traditional venture and some traditional venture funds investing in crypto would much rather invest in equity because it's great to not have to mark to market. Um, and I've always felt that back going to Ryan's strategy, there's a few other funds, X altimeter guys also launching a fund that I'm excited about. Uh, I felt that like it is a neglected part of the market. Everyone is chasing private deals. The valuations are not as cheap as back in the day. I mean, I love investing in sub 20 million. Anything above that is like, mm, I don't know, like, unless it's an exceptional team, they can get away with 50 million. Um, but those hundred, $200 million private runs, you're like, <laughs> It makes me really uneasy i'd rather go and like wait for them to launch and a lot of these i tweeted about this two, two weeks ago a lot of the projects that i saw in the private rounds their token is trading below and so that's when i scoop it up uh, has less execution risk you have liquidity you can stake these tokens you can use them as collateral like and, and it just becomes earn a yield it just becomes a better strategy and if you're a fund it's a much more scalable strategy it's a much more scalable uh, like you can deploy billions of dollars in the public markets, um, not just in Ethereum, but like, you know, like DeFi and some sort of other other stuff, like top 20, top 50 tokens, you could probably deploy a billion dollars. It's really hard to do that in the private private um, private side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know you've loved investing in the private markets, right? And that's been your kind of MO is like, oh, pretty, very exposed on the venture side of things. It's starting to feel like, I mean, I know you always push back when I bring up, bear market vibes or like crypto winter, right? But, you know, we're 6 months into kind of down sliding prices, I would say. And mm-hmm. you're starting to see just like these takes on Twitter. Here here's here are two, for example. I love Meltem. <laughs> I love Meltem to death. She said controversial take Ethereum should stay proof of work, right? You've got Sandeep uh, from Polygon also loves Sandeep, love Polygon, but he's like really coming at the Avalanche team on Twitter. And like these are things that I've just seen in 2018 and 2019 is like when you start to slide into this bear market people start to get kind of upset with how things are going and like people start to get a little angry and people start to get uh, just kind of frustrated with how things are working and i uh, you know cooper turley shout out to cooper one of the biggest enthusiasts for dow's tweeted out i think it was yesterday or the day before saying like all right it feels like dow's we've kind of maxed out our capacity for dow's right now and so kind of then you start to feel the narrative shifting a little bit Tying it back to the beginning of this question, you are this, you love investing in the privates and, and in venture. How does that shift? How does that strategy shift for you? Do you start saying, all right, I'm going to slow down the private investing and maybe start to scoop up some of these tokens that that are cheap? Or what's your strategy look like?
1: Uh, some of my best strategies has been like investing in, so I I will probably not slow down my pace of private unless I see valuations. It ebbs and flows. I will yeah. continue to always do privates. I felt to that episode built high. I totally agree with him. I felt, I feel just really comfortable. That's my edge investing in teams that are teams of two or three at a really sensible valuation with huge upside in markets that have huge upside. I'm going to wait five, 10 years. I've done it before and that's it. And so in order to do that, you have to have other sources of, of, of flow. Um, and so I have a, a public portfolio that I earn yield on and I'm, you know, you know, I, I love yield farming and I love earning yield on-chain. It could be your stables. We, we spoke with this with Travis from Ikigai. You know, you could have a portfolio of 80% like Bitcoin ETH. Pick your whatever other L2 of choice. Stake that, earn 8%, whatever. Have 20% on stables. Earn 10, 15% yield on stables. And then deploy that into privates. You are going to outperform 99% of all funds doing that. Now, assuming the privates takes two or three. To really have an outsized return. Uh, Paradigm has done that well, I think. You know, in the bear market, they, they were mostly invested in Bitcoin. And then they selectively funded a few deals like Uniswap that kind of like returned their fund. And so, you know, I think they're in the top quartile of funds out there, um, return-wise, I, I think, uh, is my sense. And so, I mean, back to my, my thesis is, i don't feel i always like to remind myself like whenever i feel that the market is 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 run away from me i always kind of say to myself there's probably going to be a state in the future where i'm going to be able to pick up this coin at this price again just be patient like don't don't chase the market let the market come to you for the last six months since november i felt i i i haven't deployed new capital into my portfolio, meaning I, I haven't, I have only recycled within crypto. And I just felt that I wanted to hold cash to buy pain. I haven't seen true, true pain.
0: What is, what is true What is true pain? What I, like I want to see
1: you? a forced seller. I want to see the, a bull, a permable be chopped and just have to sell because he's being liquidated or he has redemptions or something and when i see that and i track wallets and i and i'm looking at this stuff and when i see someone sell forcefully that's when i'll that that's when i'll hit the bit i'll lift that um and i haven't seen that yeah you know it just has felt that we're still we like it's probably the early if, if we are truly in like a bear market meaning macro wise you know inflation is not <laughs> transitory we might geopolitical conflicts might continue to you know like my my long-term thesis in crypto is very much unchanged it it solidifies every day um and so i'm not going to rush and i'm not eager to deploy i i want to i want to just be on the sidelines a little and you know it's think about it this way unlike traditional investing that you made this point earlier if you're a soft bank you're doing dumb deals because you know you have to beat the you know you you have pension money and pension funds need to be you know they need to beat the, their hurdle and when rec- when it's record low rates like you, you're you're farther out in the risk spectrum but in crypto you have not okay crypto as a whole is far out in the risk spectrum but you have a stable coin like uscc and you can earn like 12 13 percent on that okay there are risks smart contract risk and a number of things you can buy insurance if you really wanted to like, you're getting paid, like, above inflation rates to to have the market come to you and buy these dips. Like, why not just do that? Like, why not rotate 20, like, I think Berkshire Hathaway is, like, having, I was reading about this, has record high, as a percentage of their book, like, they have cash is at an all-time high. I think it's, like, 20, 25%. There's some truth in that. I mean, I, I, like, why not hold 20, 30% of your portfolio in stables, farm, buy these dips when the market pukes in the things that you believe in five ten years down the road are going to be multiples of where they are today and that's what i've been doing for the last six months
0: yeah yeah um let's talk about the last part of the market that has not started puking which is nfts so there was this big article article in the um in the wall street journal Uh, nft sales are flatlining from the wall street journal and this article uh, and the the charts and data used in the article showed that NFT sales are are theoretically crashing, and they appear. So, I, so we our team looked into the data. It appears to be based on kind of this incorrect data from Nonfungible.com, and I don't really know Nonfungible.com, and I'm sure it's a great team over there, but it wrongly shows that NFT sales are plunging, started plunging in November in 2020, uh, 2021, and never recovered. Right, this chart shows somewhere around 200,000. Uh, NFTs sold daily in November down to, what is this, around 15,000, 20, 30,000 today, right? But when I pull up Dune, right, uh, if you look at Dune, which is just fully open sourced on-chain data, you can actually see that NFTs sold are hitting these monthly all-time highs. And every metric, active traders, total volume, et cetera, seems to be actually at an all-time high. So here's this chart of OpenSea is pretty wild. Um, you can see OpenSea volume per day,
1: and that's a, that, that's the key, right? Because the chart in the Wall Street Journal is referencing N, meaning number of uh, perhaps a unit of NFTs, whereas volume just talks about obviously the the notional value of NFTs traded per day.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what? So what's your take on this? Um, what are, What are your thoughts on this Wall Street Journal article? And 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 maybe expanding out, what are your thoughts on just the NFT market in yeah. general right now?
1: it's just a reminder of like listen folks like you need to make independent analysis and it's just they skew the data right i mean the chart is terrible like who who cares about the number of the units it's just like to extrapolate based on that is like really dumb you have to look at the volume what i've observed is like you have these collections like uh, azuki's and moonbirds that their floor is w- w- pretty high out of the gate like you're know, talking about 20 30 eth you know that's 50 60 000 per ent- per jpeg um, and so I think there's been a consolidation in the market in meaning the, the blue chip there, there are more blue chip collections and people want to pay for that. And so, and that, that to me is pretty healthy barometer, um, of, of people that, you know, are perhaps are trying to replicate what board apes has done, um, and seeing who, what's going to be i think today there was going to be an un, like a an unveiling of beans which is related to azuki and right like you, th- we talked about this in prior episodes i think board apes is sort of charting the path of you have a land sale you have a token that has some confers some some governance rights to determine how this community is harnessed and you know i think like obviously there's a lot of speculation on this land sale for instance we can talk about later no one really knows what how the game's gonna look and yada, yada, yada. But still, I mean, I think like uh, the, the the Dune dashboard is more representative of what is going on in the market. Uh, but I do think that perhaps a number of, of, of mints and projects has slowed down and this has been a consolidation in higher quality projects, which I think candidly is probably a better thing, right? I, I felt that there was just a supply influx last year that you and I were talking about It just felt like two or three a day you're like that it doesn't feel sustainable but it's nice to see that there's higher quality projects with uh some sort of a compelling roadmap to to you know get people excited and and have these floors pretty high i mean you're talking about okay a moonbird or nizuki is worth the same as like a pretty high-end car let's just frame it like that i mean that's pretty wild
0: yeah. And I mean, there was a gaming acquisition I saw go through, I think it was this week or last or uh, pretty recently. It was, I think, $300 million deal, $300 million deal to buy. I think it was like 1,200 gaming developers came over in the acquisition or 1,400 gaming developers and some A rated games, $300 million. That's like around how much Yuga Labs made in this other side deal, right? So like the... <laughs> Uh, the the capital that's in the space right now is just completely ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, just going, we'll talk about Hugo Labs in a second. Uh, there's this, just want to shout out, uh, this guy Martin, actually, data journalist over at Nansen. And I thought he had three great points that we can talk about. One is uh, volume. Uh, is still higher right now than almost any other week in 2021, right? So volume of NFTs is still higher than almost any other week in 2021. That's one piece of the data. The next is that users and transactions, uh, users per week is still higher than any week in 2021. Transactions per week don't look as strong, but they're still in a lot in in pretty good health. Uh, And then projects with at least 10 sales per week is showing the strongest growth, right? Mm -hmm. Growing from 1.8, K projects at the start of the year to over 2.4 thousand today. So yeah, if you really look at any of the data, it still shows that the NFT space is going really strong right now.
1: Where do you think we go from here? Um, Like APE, what what the token, the APE token has done is pretty remarkable and it feels like there's a lot of strength and excitement. And you also look at the land sale um, that they did recently and um, it wasn't executed very It was actually pretty poorly, I think, just how the Dutch auction and this is leading to these crazy gas prices. But I'm curious, like before we get into that, like you you keep saying that you and Mike talk about NFT market a lot and you keep getting proven wrong that the music has to stop. And a lot of people have been calling that, myself included. Um, But like for folks out there skeptical, um, like what do you think sustains the NFT market? What do you think is in store for the rest of the year?
0: I'm gonna preface all of this by saying, I really like what the Yuga Labs team is doing and it's just remarkable what they've done. I will say uh, it's getting a little, it feels like it's getting a little out of hand with Yuga Labs and it feels like someone who's trying to basically absolutely race to scale and just like blitz scale, maybe without finding perfect product market fit. And uh, actually, I'm going to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Garrett, who said this to me in a Slack yesterday. He said, Bored Apes feel like the last great hope of retail in the bear market. And I just think that's a really interesting line, because when you think about what has happened with Bored Apes, like, why is, why are, has the floor gone up so much? And like, why do they have this diehard community? Well, it's because Bored Apes are the best investment in crypto since Bitcoin. Better than Ethereum, better than any, better than anything else. Better than your step in investment. It's the best investment since Bitcoin, really. And and I'll and I'll say this because, uh, what what did they mint at? Like two hundred dollars, right? You so you minted at two hundred dollars. That two hundred dollars has turned into basically a million dollars. So you've got your board ape, you've got your mutant ape, you've got your kennel, you've got your like other side land, you've got your ape coin. All of that t- combined. It's around a million, it's probably maybe a little less, 800, 900K. There's hasn't been another investment outside of just buying Bitcoin in the last you know, 10, 15 years where you could turn $200 into a million dollars. And so that's why I think it's gonna take a lot to pull this market down. What might pull it down is, um, is this summer, there's a lot of projects launching that are uh, working on the financialization of NFTs, like using NFTs as collateral. And that could, uh, I think that could be pretty dangerous. For the market yeah,
1: <laughs> so. yeah so just put it in perspective so assuming that's correct uh board ape investment if you minted an ape would have been a 5000x return if you'd have bought the ethereum ico and eth is trading that would have been a slightly below that because eth if you're an eth ico investor you would have made six thousand x probably a little bit more with the forks right like ethereum classic but nonetheless um you know it's pretty impressive you're right <clears throat> and so yeah we'll see um I don't have a good answer for, for this um, other than I think NFTs are bringing, you know, just I think it's still net positive. Uh, I hope people don't get hurt, um, but it's fun. It's collecting th- that idea. It doesn't go away. We're seeing music NFTs. We're going to see other type of NFTs that brings in more users. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we spoke about this in the episode with uh, the Varian guys. You know, I think they're very much believers in this Web3 creator economy. Underpinning that, a lot of that is NFTs. And so- yeah. You know, I, I, I think uh, traditional classic JPEGs, I think that's where I, I would probably concede the Wall Street Journal article, which is probably feels like that is is slowing down quite considerably. I think where the most of the excitement in the, in the NFT market today is around uh, something like what Labs is doing, which is, uh, you know, a game and other projects uh, attached to that and or music NFTs, which seem yeah. to be all the rage these days. And I, I candidly don't own any, but... i can see why people are excited about them
0: yeah i mean it feels like we're entering the second phase of nfts so the first phase of nfts was really profile pictures and these are just like collecting uh collecting something almost to show it off right you want to and and also maybe access to a community that was like really Mm -hmm. just the first phase of nfts was these pfps now you've got a lot of the uh projects coming with utility which you know pros and cons to that um But you've got, what is it, Moonbirds, you've got Chris Cantino did his thing with like Club CPG, Uh, the Permies community, obviously very biased, but I think it's a really interesting community that has a lot of potential. And then it feels like maybe a year or two years until we enter phase three, which is starting to actually financialize some assets that don't have tokens usually associated with them and putting like a non-fungible token around them. We interrupt your programming with a special announcement. Empire has a new sponsor. Santi and I are very excited to welcome BitMEX. That is right. BitMEX is back. The exchange we all know and love is back and better than ever. We're going to be dropping a couple updates on BitMEX over the next couple of months. This first one is a big one. Coming soon, BitMEX is rolling out their spot exchange and they're giving away $500,000 in Bitcoin to new users. That's right. Listening to Empire has got the Alpha. Santi and I got you $500,000 in Bitcoin going to new users for the OGs. I don't think I need to tell you why you need to use BitMEX. It's a love of the game kind of thing. You respect crypto. You use BitMEX for those newer to the uh, industry. BitMEX has a long and great history of innovation since their launch in 2014. They created perps and a whole lot more. Now they're back. They're better than ever. They're making waves. So. What do you need to do? Go sign up for the BitMEX spot exchange for a chance to win some of the $500,000 in Bitcoin that BitMEX is giving away. B-I-T-M-E-X, B-I-T-M-E-X.com. That's bitmex.com. Go make it happen. Now let's get back to the show. So that's, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I think we're at. But let's let's pivot into talking about Yuga Labs and the land sale. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah. last week, uh, last Saturday, Yuga Labs via their uh, basically Yuga Labs did this like land sale for Other Side, and they ended up raising three hundred and twenty million dollars from land sales. So three hundred and twenty million bucks in one day from land sales.
1: Which, by the way, just to put that in perspective, that would have been probably the largest round of financing done two years ago in crypto.
0: Well. Yeah,
1: maybe not like with L ones, but like with with like uh, but but still, it would have been one of the largest rounds. So it, yeah. it's crazy, and this was done in like minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's becoming abundantly clear that NFTs are just a new funding mechanism for startups, right? Um, this is no different than a, a a decentraland or another metaverse raising a massive round, right, mm-hmm. to go build their thing mm-hmm. out. Here, here are the two interesting things about Yuga Labs and 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 other side a. Uh, they did a KYC offering, right? So you had to you had to KYC, uh, go through KYC to actually purchase this land. And it created this secondary market that was kind of underground to be able to purchase other people's KYC addresses. Um, so you had people just like, you had people uh, promoting that they were buying up like 50, 60, 70, 100 KYC addresses to be able to buy this. So that created that kind of interesting secondary market around that, um, which you know, that didn't really feel like a good thing. Obviously, what Yuga Labs was trying to do with their KYC addresses is like make it so that one user can get one plot of land. But that kind of fell through with the secondary market. And the second thing is they completely crashed Ethereum. So this was the craziest thing that's happened to Ethereum since probably CryptoKitties broke down the blockchain in 2017. Uh, gas prices were at like, what, 8,000 guay or something like that. It yeah, was, I don't know, three, four or $5,000. <laughs> um, and that has, that has a lot of secondary impacts, right? Not only is that bad for kind of the smaller folks who can't pay 5,000 bucks for a fee, which obviously is like most people. Um, but it also really negatively impacts all the other, every single other company who's ever built something on Ethereum. Well now users can not actually use your, uh, use your project, right? Because yeah. yeah, your, your, your database is completely clogged up. So what were your thoughts on the Yuga Labs land sale?
1: Uh- terribly executed i think they could have done certain things at the smart contract like uh, architecture that would have like severely reduced gas consumption um and right then and more they, than a like,
0: hundred and i think it was 180 million was paid in eth fees to the other side contract mm-hmm. right that's that a 56 uh transaction fee based on what the 320 million raised
1: no it's, it's crazy um and then they went down and said oh <laughs> It's abundantly clear that Ethereum doesn't scale. We're gonna go on like launch our own. I'm like, guys, what are you talking about? Like, first, like at least take a shot at like, you know, designing something correctly. It's I I still concede partially that like we're not ready to go truly, truly mainstream. I mean, in an L2 environment, yeah, but, um, but look, whatever. I I don't know. We all constantly see these projects be pretty mercenary. They use Ethereum um as a way to harness community and then they extract value by leaving um and you know anyone can do that in open source it's fine but it's just from an i don't know it's like sits well with me from an like an ethical perspective loyalty perspective so anyways i understand they need to build a business and want to build a game but they want to launch your own coin and l1 like you know ape chain go at it you know
0: yeah fine yeah. So, we, we, have a, we have an episode dropping with Framework, with uh, Vance and Michael from Framework this coming Monday. And their thesis is that Yuga should actually go fork their own L2. Well, I'd be curious yeah. to get your take on this. Is, yeah. that, is that the best strategy? I think so.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, or, you know, I th- I think there's still a lot to be done here. But like Immutable X kind of did this. They forks they were an implementation of Starkware. So, yeah. Apecoin can just go and do that.
0: Um, Why do you have to fork an L2? Why not just go? Do this on Optimism or Arbitrum or something like that?
1: I guess you could. I'm not very sophisticated to understand perhaps some trade-offs on the margin that they may want to just tinker on it and create their own. Um, but theoretically, I mean, I think you can um, use Arbitrum
0: or Optimism. Yeah. yeah. Does this make you question whether or not Ethereum has long-term, uh, has, has staying power as like the long-term settlement layer of crypto? Yeah. I mean, I still have
1: doubts about that. Like, to me, it's not like abundantly clear, like a hundred percent certainty. You know, I I never think this way. Episodes like these do kind of like make you wonder, can we truly scale? And maybe, maybe it's just going to take another five years of actual true deep, uh, you know, research to get there. Uh, Because, okay, Ethereum, back to your point around Meltem saying that Ethereum should continue to stay work, Like the merge doesn't solve any of this. This is a reminder to people. Moving to of proof of stake doesn't solve any of this. Meaning that the, the, the demand for block space keeps increasing. And it creates this dynamic where, yeah, it's a free market of pricing gas and block space, but it creates, it's sort of like imposing New York style rent to all of America. Like that's crazy. And L2 is just, are like creating suburbs mm. to create different populations to, you know, not pay $3,000 a month on rent. So uh, I think there was a really interesting episode uh, with Olaf from um, from Polychain. He, much like me, I believe in a multi-chain world. I think we're going to probably see way more L2s in the next five years that we have seen today. And I think that's a good thing um you know to to allow for all these different projects to deploy but at the same time use a, a settlement layer like ethereum i mean i think ethereum continues to be that leader uh relative to uh, all the other l1s out there i mean you solana is a few years behind i mean it continue, it has its own issues um it's still and the team would concede it's still in beta very much beta and so you know again it, these are It's just a reminder for people like these things take a lot of time. The Internet took really like 15, 20 years more than that to to get to a place where you can stream video on your phone. And the problem now is that, you know, you always have these moments where the expectation is such that people want it and they want it now. They get a taste of NFTs. They get a taste of what you could do in a decentralized context. And, And it's really cool to be in these open source communities. The vision is there. They sell it as such that a lot of times, you know, knowingly or not, I mean, teams are promising this grand vision, but it's just like, you got to just constantly be a skeptic and say, yes, I probably believe that this is possible, but it's going to take way longer than yeah. what we're probably allowing ourselves to do. And so you invert and you say, yeah, you probably should raise a bunch of capital to be able to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an interesting notion what you said at the beginning of this around, uh, you're basically applying New York rent. To everywhere and that you'll end up having these suburbs created which is kind of like what um who is it hasib who came on the show hasib, and talked yeah, about urban, yeah, yeah his thesis for you know, different different blockchains or different cities I'd, I'd ask you does minting an nft on ethereum kind of afford this additional value to the nft right like if you minted an nft on mm. on polygon does it carry the same value
1: no n- not today i mean i think there's a, a big discrimination uh i bought some nfts in polygon and the said differently you haven't seen i think floor prices on polygon are on the aggregate much lower than in ethereum um what it will be interesting to observe is that there are a few of these projects that are launching like blur for instance um that is just an nft aggregator and so maybe that places emphasis uh, around the actual collection itself uh and less on was it minted on ethereum or avalanche or cosmos or solana like no one cares um and if you're a creator then yeah you probably want to mint in the cheapest kind of environment um in an l2 um, so that it's not as expensive for you to deploy the you know the collection um and so who knows maybe in the next six months we won't even think about like where that nft is being minted today it very much matters because you know a lot of times like punks were minted years you know years ago right and it was in Ethereum. that was kind of the only game in town Um, And I think a lot of projects historically have tried to emulate that and say, okay, if, if all the artists are in Paris in this salon, what I probably want to move to Paris and like, you know, be there because that's where like, funny enough, that's where all the galleries are. Like we're kind of in that state. Um, But I think over time that kind of probably fades. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think the last thing on Board Apes before we move on is just um, there was actually an interesting proposal today. The Apecoin DAO approved a proposal to allocate 17.5% of the total Apecoin supply to be distributed over the next three years via this ecosystem staking program. And so Apecoin has a max supply of a billion tokens. And their rationale was like as a first step to Apecoin becoming the preferred token of Web3, this is a quote, early NFT adopters and existing and potential ecosystem participants should be incentivized. And I gotta give Kobe credit here. Uh, you know, Kobe said, quote, ApeCoin is legit voting to give away 20% of supply, or really 17.5% of supply, in quote, fake staking program, merely days after Yuga floated the idea of an ape-led L1 or L2. There's no discussion on whether that supply might be useful for actual staking if an L1 or L2 was built. We're just in the stage of more coins, vote yes. Um, and I think he makes a good point here, which is people don't realize how much thought went into creating Bitcoin or creating Ethereum or even some of these other competitor L1s uh, where you ha- you really have to think about the economics. It feels like something like uh, Yugo, like Yuga Labs with Board Apes might just be kind of racing to make a lot of these decisions because they've got someone like Andreessen as an investor who's just like, build, 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 let's blitz scale, let's do this as quickly as possible. In Web2, that works because you're just trying to get more users. You're not creating Mm -hmm. economic systems. In Web3, you're creating uh, economies where you need to actually put a little more thought into it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think it will be really interesting over the next five years, 10 years to understand which chains actually came out ahead the most. Um, because. There is this camp of Ethereum purity, which is it is decentralized. The decision making, you know, Ethereum, Vitalik still wields a lot of power in the community. Uh, but you know, there's there's different clusters like consensus and the Ethereum Foundation, and I guess to some extent like large ETH holders. Uh, but it it feels very different than a than a project like Solana um, that is is much more centralized at the decision product level, uh, or even perhaps all the others like Poly, like Avalanche and uh you know polka dot to some extent like you know these are much more centralized organizations and so um yeah i think uh, from a case study perspective in the next 10 20 years it'd probably be something that we were going to look back and say what was the optimal like place in that continuum of decentralization and what are the things that you should be decentralizing certainly governance but not necessarily product development and i think sometimes people lose sight of that and say let's decentralize everything you're like wait a minute no (laughs) like absolutely not but we know i mean i just i have a view but i again it's too early to tell
0: yeah um all right so we recorded this episode with um the head of coinbase cloud joe Lelouz, who previously ran uh, bison trails before bison trails got acquired by coinbase i know you weren't able to make that episode but it comes out next week uh, and one interesting thing that we talked about is Lido and just liquid staking. So right now, Lido has a 31.6% market share over staking and about a 90% market share over liquid staking. Mm-hmm. They basically have a monopoly on liquid staking right now. Does this concern
1: you? Uh, Full disclosure, I was a first investor in Lido. Uh, I was a pair um, I th- so So I have bias here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the team is actively trying to address this. Uh, what you have to remember, though, is that it is sort of a consortium of like a council that determines it's not just one validator. It is a group of validators that come to LIDO and the LIDO kind of governance determines which validators are part of this kind of, I would almost call it like a, a safe whitelist of validators. Um, so it's not to say that it's just one validator, like Chorus 1 or like, you know, staked or who stakes on part of LIDO, but, you know one validator entity that like is getting all of that 31% of staked ETH. Um, so, so it's important when people hear these figures to appreciate that there is a whole set of underpin, like, I think the role of Lido is to be like that router that determines that everyone in- that has been kind of approved, whitelisted in the Lido system um, is a credible validator that has a good track record. Um, and and the community kind of has assessed that, and so um, I'll, I'll point that out. Um, and so yeah, I mean, this this goes back to one of the f- interesting discussions that I had. I was in the Bankless podcast at the time where they were getting some criticism of just being too Ethereum centric, and it was uh, Constantine, who was the one of the founders of Lido, myself, and the Bankless team, uh, Ryan and 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 David talking about solana and ethereum and I'll, I'll, as a te- I'll just go on this quick rant which is the criticism that we hear from solana is that the, the hardware requirements are really hard and onerous and it creates this implicit idea that like it creates this dynamic where you know only like Rich folks can like be validators, and so therefore, like it's difficult that not everyone can run a node with a Raspberry Pi in their house, which is kind of what Ethereum allows. And so naturally, you might look at that and say, "Oh, Ethereum is one of the Ethereum is just more egalitarian, sort of like a, a flat structure that anyone can be a validator." But the reality is, like no one actually runs these things, uh, and it's still very centralized. And so the pra- the the point that I'm trying to make here is, from an architecture standpoint, it might be easy to run a validator, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do it. And I think hu- human structures, governance, and if you look at like political participation in systems, even like corporate voting um, and activism, and certainly in political systems of elections, like the turnover is really low. For the most part, like humans don't like, are very active. <laughs> um, and so when you, you ought to sort of like think that this is going to be how humans behave. At the end of the day, like everything is a social construct. And to reach consensus, like there are, there will always be, I think a natural pull towards centralization, because participation will be low. Most people will not want to participate. Will not take the time and the effort to be a validator, and they might they would much rather outsource this to someone else. And so then you say, well, how can we create this this idea? How can we design systems that assume that there will be a race? Uh, there will be a natural g- gravitational pull towards centralization, and then create wrappers and layers. Uh, that that can mitigate an attack and i think that's kind of like i think the lido team is acutely aware of that and so um you know
0: yeah does this centralize risk though because um okay so right now lido has 31.6 or seven percent of the market share at 33 percent of market share Uh, they have a, they pass that 33% threshold, right? So if something ever happened to Lido, Lido like, this this is the way I understand how Ethereum works is that if more than 33% of the validators go offline, blocks stop finalizing, right? And so Mm -hmm. let's say something happens with, so if they get 1.3% more market share, and then something happens to Lido, their validators for some reason go offline, blocks won't get produced.
1: If Lido goes down, that doesn't necessarily mean the validators go down. Like there are multiple different validator companies, operators within the Lido ecosystem. So the probability Mm. of all of them going down at the same time is not necessarily a smart contract bug that affects Lido that all of a sudden everyone goes down. I'm pretty sure of that. But anyone listening that would want to contest that, please comment and we'll
0: talk about it. And maybe we'll have the Lido team on. We'll have the Lido team on. That'll, uh, that'll fix this. Um, let's pivot away from talking about ETH. Let's talk about uh, the Terra ecosystem. For those who didn't see it, uh, the new Anchor semi-dynamic earn rate went is now at 18%. Uh, it went from 19.5% to 18%, not not that big of a deal. Um, but I think the big announcement here is people have been questioning like, is the Anchor yield sustainable? What's gonna happen with Anchor? Um, here, here's the update, is that rates are now gonna be adjusted monthly based on the yield reserve performance there's going to be a max monthly movement of one and a half percent with a floor of 15% APY and a 20% APY ceiling. Uh, On this note, deposits also just hit an all-time high of $20 billion. Um, uh, And I mean, it's becoming pretty clear that like even at a lower rate, well, I guess 18% is still high. Anchor's still attracting a massive amount of capital. So
1: you're still beating
0: inflation. Here's to, yeah, yeah slightly slightly <laughs> um by
1: the way speaking of inflation just as an aside like can you believe coffee like is the inflation on coffee is off the rails uh i mean we always know that if you live in new york like you get totally ripped off by you know a cup of joe anywhere you go but like the coffee bean itself has been on this massive rant a massive rally uh you know so i'm feeling the pain sir because i drink more coffee than i care to admit
0: anything else you want to cover um on this
1: roundup The only thing I want to raise attention to is there is permissionless. uh, Well, you always, (laughs) I always save that for you at the end. But (laughs) there there are now a few kind of litigations that have ongoing towards DeFi protocols. Um, And one of which came out recently that is pretty relevant for the DAO space, which says that I think it was BZX got sued by the same people that are assuming Pool together um this law firm that is like are those
0: the same people that are suing uniswap uh,
1: i'm not sure actually but basically what it says is uh, bzx was uh, compromised one of the keys were compromised and so it led to like loss of funds which bzx said that they were going to return to invest like you know make whole uh, the affected users but they still kind of went and, and sued them and they were suing everyone in the DAO, meaning the operators which included the investors and I think one of them was hashed and, and another, a few other VCs and the employees obviously of BZX and their claim was, which is going to be, I think a very interesting legal precedent here, which is that the, the veil, like the, the corporate veil, like when you do or under an LSC in a corporation, like the, you know, personal liability kind of goes is, is protected. Um, and that's the whole point of why you'd want to, the, these structures are so important because it protects the operator, like personal liability. Uh, but now their claim was that because it's a DAO, that that no longer applies, and so anyone, everyone here is liable. Um, and so I'm I'm watching this very very closely um, to see how it is interpreted in a court of law, because it can, it might have uh, it might re- like have pretty big implications um, on the DAO space as a whole.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of our reporters, Ben Strack, had a really nice piece on it. If you guys want to yeah, learn more, yeah.
1: that that's the one I was actually looking at. So we'll link that to the show notes. This is something to definitely watch. Um, these are the kind of things that I, uh, I pay most attention to because it could, imagine, imagine if a court rules that, yeah, everyone's liable. Like there's no like, like this personal liability. I mean, if you're involved in a DAO, like you sure as hell should be paying attention to this. If you're an investor, if you're an
0: right and here's here, here's the key line yeah. from uh from their lawyer right from the attorney is that means each of the partners is jointly and and liable to the plaintiffs and must make good on the full amount of its debts right so you've got uh the defendants here bzx protocol co-founders kyle and tom ha- uh investors hashed age crypto b0x they created the DAO, right and now the they're saying that they're liable for it so yeah
1: yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. I know there's a lot of really good, uh, you know, consortiums within crypto that are, you know, putting up a good fight and making sure that this, you know, gets treated correctly. But I think, look, I, I, going back to the original question, I think this is non-standing important for the space where it's gone sufficiently large that it is attracting this attention, which obviously is not fun. But I think it's just a symbol of this industry is here to stay and we need to create these precedents uh, around DAOs, around treatment of tokens and a whole number of things. But I think that is just in my back back of my mind, this is just telling you it's almost really the way these asset classes get created, right? There's new standards and um, legal rulings and, and things that need to be created to address. You know, you got at the same innovation needs to be met also with legal innovation. And I think that's what we're. We're seeing here so it's encouraging but also super important and also i know it can be really stressful um in the space where we constantly like climb <laughs> these walls of worry but yeah. you know
0: yeah i'm gonna one last piece of news and then uh we'll talk about per- permissionless for a second is the fairfax pension shout out to the fairfax pension they i rem- i remember being huh, in the right. room yeah, in the room with Pomp when he said, holy shit, I think we just closed a pension. And it was him and Mark Yusko. Um, and they were one of the first, it th- might have been the first pension to actually publicly allocate to uh, to crypto. They got them to put half a percent of their portfolio into crypto, into the Morgan Creek Fund. Uh, These
1: are uh, firefighters, right? That's uh, police. Police. Oh, police okay.
0: in Virginia. Yeah. I see. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they then got them to double it. So then it was 1% of their portfolio. This is back in 2019. And, um now here we are 2022 and it just got announced that uh crypto is now eight percent of the pensions portfolio and they're considering allocating to the the title of the article is a little clickbaity because it said pensions starting to think about yield farming but if you read the fine print they're they're thinking about allocating to two different funds that deploy yield farming strategies but man uh it just i think goes to show like Once you, it's kind of like uh, moving your dollars into stable coins. Like once you enter into crypto, it's really hard to go back. So big shout out to uh, Fairfax Pension for for, uh, pulling the trigger on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right. Quick shout out to permissionless. But before we do that, I just want to tell you, this is actually the four year anniversary of blockworks um, oh wow yeah so that Congrats. was uh i just got a, i just got a ping about that for my calendar so uh four-year anniversary <laughs> i'm realizing that this might have been the the day i actually quit my job at a company called SciSense to go full-time with blockworks so
1: yeah wow uh, yeah it probably has felt like 20 years but you know it's, just it's really a
0: combination fun. of 20 years and like six days so it's like either time <laughs> is flying or like time is going really really long so oh, yeah man um Really excited. Permissionless. If you guys aren't attending, uh, we are almost actually sold out on tickets. So almost sold out on tickets. Um, you guys should really go. We, here are some of the speakers. Chris Dixon, Doquan, Catherine Ru, Wu, Vlad Tenev uh, is leaking a bunch of alpha on stage at a keynote. Uh, him and Mike are talking. I think it's on the first day about some of Robin Hood's strategies and Damn, that's going to be a good panel. Jiho from Axie, Uniswap Labs, Justin Drake, Hasib, Nick Carter, Lee Jin of Variant, uh, Polygons coming out, Eric Peters at One River, Stani from Ave, this guy named Santiago. Uh, X, ex- we've got you. Xperify. We got to change that to institutional angel. We got Kyle Samani <laughs> from ex-perify. Multicoin. <laughs> yeah, I guess you are. You, you are. Yeah, Christine Moy, big shout out. Just uh, became head of crypto at Apollo. Vance from Framework, um, head of CBDCs at Visa. Kane from Synthetics of VeChain at Electric, the Chief Product Officer of Coinbase. The list goes on and on. So if you are not attending, uh, you should definitely attend. If you don't like the content, come for the parties. We've got Blau, uh, please and thank you um some really amazing djs and if you hate djs you hate content come for the nft gallery we got des bryant uh coming out giving a really amazing talk about what he's doing life after football we've got trippy labs coming out and big shout out to openc for for sponsoring the yeah. nft gallery
1: the content is that going to be made available like weeks later months later uh it will be yeah okay great great yeah it's still yeah. you should all, you should all come i'll be there and i'm excited no, to it see it, it,
0: it will selectively so we'll probably release maybe the best five panels but for anyone who wants to get access to all of it no you're gonna have to attend uh, i think we'll maybe live stream it behind uh like if you hit our website you might have to put in your email um and we'll It'd give be you of cool like the if you have
1: some sort of nft tier that you could just unlock that content uh using yeah. livepeer or something I, I i don't know like you could just like connect your metamask and like the stream and like Or maybe like direct with super fluid, like you'll pay as you go. Like, I I don't think it'd be, that's kind of the useful utility around NFTs that I get excited about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So speaking of NFTs, uh, the only way to get a VIP pass is to snag a Permi. So jump into the Permi community, join Santi and me, and uh, we will see you there.
1: Awesome, my friend. It's good to be good to be back. Hopefully we'll live to see another day in crypto up, down. We'll still be here. We'll still be here next week. And we're going to permissionless. So hope everyone's uh, doing all right out there. Don't get liquidated. And we'll see you
0: next week. See you next week.